This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be looking at chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark, the first 20 verses. Mark 4, 1 through 20. Hear now the reading of God's holy word as Jesus teaches in a parable. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was in the land was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parables, and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. This is the word of the Lord, and he blessed it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we approach your word this Lord's day, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would illuminate our hearts to receive it, that we would know and understand how your gospel works, how it is made effectual by your Holy Spirit as it goes out into the world. And I pray that we would be comforted by your gospel, 
that those here who are your children would be comforted and assured, and that if there are any who do not know you, that they would come to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have spent basically my entire life in some expression of the visible church. I've been through different denominations and uh, different congregations of those different denominations, going all the way back to my childhood. In that time, I've known and crossed paths with a lot of people. There were the other families, other kids that I knew growing up in the church. There was the junior high and high school youth groups I would be a part of, the summer camps I would go to, the vacation Bible schools I would attend. There were the campus ministries in college. In college, I actually spent two summers as a Baptist missionary traveling all over Wyoming with a group of fellow college students when we were too young and inexperienced and immature to be doing a lot of the things we were doing, but we were helping churches. We would conduct their worship services and we would conduct Bible schools and camps for them. But growing up in the church and in all these different environments where the word was believed and taught, I would always hear about this idea, this doctrine of once saved, always saved. Pretty much every church I was ever a part of, including this one, holds to some version of this doctrine. There is a version of this doctrine that is true. We believe in the golden chain of redemption as it's set out in Romans 8.30, that those who God predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those that he justified, he glorified. Those who are God's elect, those who are truly his people, are sustained by him from start to finish. They persevere to the end. In the very first answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the most precious documents to the Reformed faith, it says that because we belong to Christ, he assures us by the Holy Spirit of our eternal life. And yet, as the years have gone by, I've noticed that many of the people in many of the churches and organizations and other things I was a part of, even Christian leaders that I grew up listening to, reading, pastors that I sat under their teaching and respected, even people that I served alongside in these various ministries, they've walked away from the faith. People who I never would have thought were anything other than well-established Christians, they now openly denounce Jesus. They've embraced different things. Some have embraced atheism. Some have embraced the prosperity gospel. Some have even embraced the LGBT revolution. Some have turned to false religions. They've joined cults. They've joined uh, other things that are not the Christian church. Whatever they've fallen into, they are no longer walking with the Lord. They are no longer, by their own admission or by any evidence in their lives, a Christian. Now, for someone who always grew up hearing about this teaching of once saved, always saved, this poses a conundrum. What happened? These are people I knew, people I loved, friends, family, people I trusted, people who even helped me to grow in my faith in various ways, who taught me many valuable things, and I saw God bless their efforts and bear fruit for the kingdom. But now they seem to be different people. Perhaps you're like me today and you have seen similar things. People you once walked alongside in the faith, but they've walked away. What are we to make of this? 
And how do we know that we're not next? These can be difficult and painful and even scary questions. But they are questions that Jesus has helped us to answer. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus teaches us several important truths in this parable. He tells this story to communicate truth about his kingdom. Now, in a sense, this parable makes my job a little easier because unlike many of the parables in Jesus' ministry, Jesus gives the parable, but then we also have provided for us Jesus' own explanation of it. So the parables here, the interpretations here, we can just read the text and go home, right? Not quite. There is a bit more that we need to look into here. What this parable describes for us is what happens when the gospel is proclaimed and the different ways that God works or doesn't work in the lives of those who hear it. When the gospel is proclaimed, God makes a division between those that are his people and those who are not, those who belong to his kingdom and those who do not. Now, it is not always immediately obvious who are truly God's people and who are not, but that division is being made. And so we will look at this parable of the sower and what it teaches us today in four points, each one being one of the four scenarios that this parable presents. First, we see the stolen seeds. They are introduced in verse 4, and then they're explained in verses 14 and 15. Sometimes the word never has a chance. It's heard, but it's dismissed. It doesn't seem to do anything. But then second, we see the scorched seeds. They are introduced in verses 5 and 6, and then explained in verses 16 and 17. Some seeds look like they are alive at the beginning, but it becomes apparent quickly that all is not well. Third, we see these strangled seeds introduced in verse 7 and explained in verses 18 and 19. Some seem to live in Christ for quite some time, but later fall away. And then fourth and finally, we will see these sustained seeds described in verse 8 and explained in verse 20. Those who do persevere unto eternal life and those who bear fruit. So we have the stolen seeds, the scorched seeds, the strangled seeds, and the sustained seeds. So first we will look at the stolen seeds that are described for us in verse 4, and then Jesus explains them in verses 14 and 15. Now we need to note at the outset what verse 14 tells us. It's key to this parable. The sower is sowing the word. The seeds in this parable are the word of the gospel being proclaimed. The gospel is to be proclaimed to all people freely and without discrimination. There is no contradiction between our Reformed doctrine, which teaches predestination and God's sovereignty in salvation, and the free offer of the gospel. Because it is the preaching of the gospel that God uses according to his infallible knowledge, as the means to bring in his people. And he does not grant us that infallible knowledge. We shouldn't be deciding who gets to hear the gospel and who doesn't. Our duty is to make sure that all can hear. But in the parable, this sower, this farmer, he scatters some of his seeds and they miss their target. They are scattered on the road. Now, you know how roads work. There's traffic. They could be hard-packed soil or stone or something of the sort. So seeds that land on a road 
aren't going to have an opportunity to take root or grow. They're not the right conditions for it. Sorry, got a fly up here. When the gospel is proclaimed, there are people who reject it. Their hearts are not the soil that the Spirit has prepared to receive it. And we see this in Jesus' own ministry. You can think of the worst of the scribes and Pharisees. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and we've seen a lot of this. They come to Jesus just to mock him, to trick him, to trap him, to criticize him, and to cause trouble for his ministry. There are those who come just to be spectators. There are some in the crowd, they're just coming to see the spectacle, or they want to get healed, or they want to get fed. They'll listen to Jesus' message, but that's not really what they're there for. It's not what they're interested in. They want the stuff. They want to see what's going on. They're just curious. They want blessings, or they want entertainment, but they're not really interested in the things of God. Now, the truth is, most people that hear the gospel do not respond to it. If you've ever been involved in any kind of evangelism or outreach efforts, you will find that most of the people you might encounter don't really want to talk to you. They don't really want to take your literature if you have it. They might pretend to be interested for a while, but they're trying to get away as quick as they can, and you will never see them or hear from them again. Verse 15 tells us that for these people, Satan immediately comes and takes the word away. And yet, just because Satan is involved, it does not mean that people are not responsible for their unbelief. In verse 9, at the close of the parable-telling portion of this text, Jesus makes that clear when he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. People are responsible for listening and hearing the word of the Lord. But Satan snatches that word away because of sin, because of the flesh, because of the devil. Many do not. God's sovereignty and salvation, though, does not excuse man's responsibility to repent and believe. The Canons of Dort, one of the early great reform documents, helps, us to, helps to explain this for us. It says, however, that many who have been called through the gospel do not repent or believe in Christ, but perish in unbelief, is not because the sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross is deficient or insufficient, but because they themselves are at fault. Unbelief is a sin. It is the greatest of sins. It is the sin against the Holy Spirit. And the unbeliever is responsible for his unbelief. There are those who have ears to hear physically the words, but in their hearts they do not hear and they do not heed the Son's word. They do not listen to the gospel. These are the stolen seeds. But second, we will look at the scorched seeds. Those described in verses 5 and 6, explained in verses 16 and 17. There are people who start well in the faith, but leave because it becomes too difficult. The images of seeds that go into rocky, stony soil. Rocky soil is not good for growing much of anything. Rocks are too hard. They don't have nutrients. They're not porous. There's no way to absorb water. At our house that I grew up in as a kid... We tried to have a garden. We tried to have a flower bed out in our front yard. And the place where we did this, we used to have a big concrete front porch that had been jackhammered and torn down and taken out. But many of the smaller chunks of concrete were still worked down into that soil. 
and they were essentially rocks in the soil and it made it very hard to grow anything in that spot. Our garden didn't end up doing very well. So too, rocky soil, you can't grow much in it. It doesn't work very well. That's not to say nothing ever grows in rocky soil. Maybe there's enough surface dust, enough of a thin layer of soil that a seed can take root and grow for a time, but ultimately it's doomed. Ultimately, it's not going to last very long. So too, some seem to receive the word for a short time. They might even be admitted to the church. They might be baptized. And as long as the Christian life is easy, they may stick around. But immediately when challenges arise, when there's persecution of any kind, when there's difficulty, maybe it's things like illness or loss or criticism from other friends and family or conflict within the church, these are the ones that will be out the door. Just as the sun scorches and kills the plants that emerge from this rocky soil, they're not rooted the word that was in them has perished. It never really had life. I remember when I was in middle school, I can't remember if I've told this story before or not, but I'll tell it again. There was a youth rally in a town near ours. Some local, fo some local folks, they chartered a school bus. They promoted this event, even hung up flyers in the public schools. And they got a full busload of kids from my town to go to this youth rally. There was all these speakers. It was a talented band. It was a big event. And the promotion was successful. Again, we had a full bus. There was all this music. There was these talks. It was this big, exciting event. And all these kids from all over. But the end of the night, the big main event of the whole night, at the end there was a 15-minute gospel message followed by a 45-minute altar call where the soft music was playing in the background and the speaker was just pleading for people to come down into the dirt of the rodeo arena where this was held and give their lives to Jesus. And almost everyone there, including most of the kids on the bus from my school, went forward. Now, I didn't. I'd already been a Christian for a few years. In fact, one of my friends asked me the next day in school, why didn't you go forward to accept Jesus? And I told him, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I I already did that. I, I don't need to do that. That only happens once. But it did seem like for a while after this event and after all these kids seemingly professed faith in Christ, there was something of a revival, something of a great Christian turnaround in my school. But as the days, weeks, months, years went by, almost all the kids who were there that night uh, who thought that they had made a profession of faith, some who were close friends of mine, they retreated into their same old worldly ways. In fact, my friend who asked me that next day why I didn't go forward, where he's at now, he's a practicing homosexual. He's not a part of any church, any expression of the Christian faith. Uh, he's completely living outside of the faith. It's like that night never happened. So what do we make of this? Well, one issue is that we, I think, living in the country we have, having the kind of lives we have, we have trouble often dealing with difficulty, dealing with resistance, dealing with suffering. So much of our lives, so much of our world and our country and our economy is built around either preventing or quickly solving any problems, dealing with any pain or suffering we may have. And so we often don't really learn 
about how to deal with hardship until it hits us in a big way. And a lot of the church today tries to cater to this free and easy living. We live in the days of the church growth movement, seeker-sensitive churches, where the whole church experience is built around just making people feel comfortable. But if the whole church experience is around making people comfortable, then at the first sign of discomfort, people don't know what to do. And many of them will be gone, never to be seen again. I know of a church once that moved from its church building to a high school auditorium. They got too big. It was a good problem to have. But within a couple years, they moved back to their church building. Their attendance dropped off significantly. Well, what happened? One of the main reasons people told them why they left the church was the distance from the parking lot to the auditorium in the new location was too far. They couldn't handle the walk. So away from that church they went, never to be seen again. If a walk from a parking lot can cause someone to depart from Christ, how much more can real significant difficulty And we are in times of increasing difficulty for Christians. The world, the culture has turned against us. It hates Christ, and more and more it hates us. It thinks we're bigots, it thinks we're backwards, we're hateful, we're evil. We need to be silenced, we need to be forgotten. And we may well see in the days and years to come more of these scorched seeds who won't stay because the price is too high. But after these stolen seeds, those who hear the gospel and don't believe at all, the scorched seeds, those who seem to receive the gospel but fall away at the first sign of trouble, we come to the strangled seeds, those described in verse 7, explained in verses 18 and 19. These are the seeds that are choked out by the weeds. They seem to be okay for a time, even maybe a long time, but then there's trouble. These are the ones who do not persevere because they decide they want the things of the world more. Note verse 19. In the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word. Now this category can be very unsettling. It can be very scary. These are people who seem to be Christians for quite some time. They seem to be alive. They seem to be growing. I mentioned before, I've known these people. They come to the faith, they're discipled, they may even rise to positions of ministry and leadership in the church. But then other things happen, and their faith proves false. It could be any number of things, maybe a marriage or a family relationship falls apart, and then it turns out that That person really, their identity and their faith was not in God, but in the other person who is now taken. Maybe there's a desire for a forbidden romantic relationship. And the desire is so strong that the solution is simply to remove Christianity with its restrictions. I've known people growing up where I did that would leave the church to go marry Mormons and become Mormons because they'd rather get married than remain faithful to Christ. Maybe a son or a daughter embraces an alternative lifestyle Maybe one of the LGBT sins and suddenly a parent is in crisis, has to reconcile their love for their child with the demands of God's word. Maybe it's a desire for wealth. 
Maybe it's that falling for the prosperity gospel, the idea that if you have enough faith, if you just believe in God enough, He'll give you whatever you want, all the material blessings of this world, and then trouble comes and the blessings don't come. Or maybe another form that the desire for wealth takes is setting aside one's faith for a career. Maybe you can have a successful, high-paying job, but it means that you're going to work where you can never go to church and participate in the means of grace and fellowship with the saints. Or maybe it means that in order to make that money, you have to do things that are sinful. You have to compromise with the world and its ways. There are many things that can be the weeds that can choke out what seems to be living and thriving faith. Whatever the something is, a faith that seems strong can be gone. And the world is full of things that want to destroy the church and destroy Christian faith. But worldliness and Christianity can never comfortably coexist for too long. Either the Spirit sanctifies us and conforms us into the image of Christ and gives us new desires, or the weeds of the world are going to choke us and stunt us and draw us away. And the world is offering us these things all the time, and left to our own strength, we are weak. We are compromisers. The lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life want to destroy us. And so we need to reckon with two questions here regarding these seeds that are choked out by the weeds. First, what do we make of those who have fallen away under these circumstances? Because if we've been in the faith for any amount of time, we know people who come to the faith, come into the church, and then either because of the difficulties, as we saw in the second category, or temptation, this third category, they fall away. What we see in the Bible in 1 John 2.19, some instruction that helps us. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So John writing there, he was addressing antichrists, those who spread and were held captive to false teachings. And the point of his words is that those who go apostate, those who leave Christianity, do so because their salvation was never real. It was never sincere in the first place. It could look that way for a time, but it proves false. And so our solution for those who fall away like this is we pray for them. We continue to give them the gospel in hopes that they might come to true repentance and true conversion. But there's another question that we have to deal with here. Having talked about those who might appear to be in the faith even for a long time, but then fall away, how can we be certain that we are not among those? Well, this brings us to our final point. After these stolen, scorched, and strangled seeds, we come to these sustained seeds we see in verses 8 and verse 20. So we've seen these three categories of people who do not persevere, who do not remain in the faith, who do not enter the eternal rest. We now come to those that do. There are seeds that persevere. And the word grows up in the heart of the believer, and the believer is kept to everlasting life. So how can we know that we're one of these? 
When we deal with this question of our perseverance, there comes a great temptation. Our natural inclination is to think, well, I'll just do better and try harder. I'll do more things to gouge the worldliness out of my life and to strengthen my own faith. And then I can be certain that I belong to Christ. But that doesn't work. It doesn't work because, for one, we cannot completely beat back sin in this life. We're still always tempted. It still always remains with us. And this can really scare us as we look at this parable because we see people led away by sin and into death. So where can we find comfort? How can we know that we will persevere? Well, we must remember and remember often where our faith comes from. Our faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. We saw that in Ephesians 2, the text that I talked about Friday night at the VBS program. If we are Christ's sheep, no one can snatch us out of his hand. That's John 10. We looked at it several weeks ago in the evening. So we're never going to completely gouge sin out of our lives. Our own efforts aren't going to do it. But if we are in Christ, the Spirit sanctifies us and conforms us more and more into the image of Christ and preserves us to everlasting life. And then we see in this life, because of the Spirit's work, that sin will have less of a hold on us. We will desire less and less the things of the world and more and more desire and do God's things. We will love the Word. We love to hear the Word. We treasure it and hide it in our hearts. Again, not because we're afraid, but because we love God and want to know and do what's pleasing to Him. And we'll love and serve God and our neighbor, again, not in fear, but with sincerity of purpose in thankfulness and gratitude. And these things are evidences of God's work in us. We can be assured of our faith by its fruits, even imperfect as they are, because God is pleased by grace in Christ to accept them. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us allows us to see the world and its desires rightly so that we will not be led astray. And His Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. We read that earlier in Romans 8. And God gives us the grace to persevere to the end. Our God is faithful. I mentioned earlier the people that I know who seem to have left the faith. Now, the difference between them and me is not anything in me. It's not anything good that I am or that I've done. If I was left to my own devices and my own desires, I would be right there with them. And brothers and sisters, so would you. Our perseverance in the faith, our continued belief in the gospel, is by the grace of God alone and by His power alone. So there's no comparison game where if we're not sure about our salvation, we hold ourselves up to others and question if we're doing enough for God. We even see in this parable there's different degrees of fruitfulness. Some seeds bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. All of them are bearing fruit, but different degrees. Some don't as much as others. So this isn't about who does the most. In fact, it's not about what we do at all. It's about the faithfulness of God. It's about Him bringing growth, Him bringing fruits, Him taking our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. 
I mean, think about this parable in its most literal sense. What is the part, what is the element of the parable that describes us? We are dirt. We are soil. We're such a menial and seemingly unimportant part of all of this. But God makes the seed of his word grow in us. He works on us to accomplish his glorious purposes, and all glory and all praise goes to him. So, perhaps you're here this morning and you've never heard this gospel before, that Christ died to save sinners like you and like me. If that's you, the call is to repent of your sins and believe in this gospel. The seed has been sown in the soil of your heart. Trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive his Holy Spirit to seal you and confirm you in this life and for the life to come. Perhaps you're here today and you belong to Christ, but your faith is weak. Perhaps it has been challenged. Perhaps you are unsure if you're going to make it. Rest in Christ. Trust in Christ. Have your faith strengthened by God's appointed means. Continue to attend to the word, but believe what it is, believe that it is true what it says, that your faith is a gift from God from start to finish. And if you belong to him, he will not leave you or forsake you. That if you are one of Christ's sheep, no one and nothing will snatch you out of his hand. You don't have to depend on your own efforts. The one who began the work in you does the work, and he is faithful to complete it. But perhaps you are here today, and you're facing the troubles and temptations of the world, but in a different way. Maybe you're thinking that you might want what the world is offering you more. You want that life, that relationship, that thing that you desire for yourself, that thing you are tempted with, but God says you must not have. This text is a warning to you. There is nothing but death and destruction outside of God's will and God's word. Do not negotiate with sin. Do not think that you can sin now and make everything right later. Do not forsake Christ. The world has nothing to offer you. It could give you a few decades of pleasure and ease, but then what? You'll stand before your creator in judgment on the last day. If that is you, the call is to repent, to run, to flee from sin and temptation, to hear this word and believe it, and live not for yourself, but for Christ. Because Christ is the only thing in this life and his word and his gospel that will matter in the end. Only Christ can save. Only Christ can make these seeds grow. So come to him, remain in him, love him, and serve him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you that our salvation is a gift from you. We thank you that uh, unworthy sinners as we are, you have come down to us and that you have proclaimed your gospel to us and that by your Holy Spirit it is made effectual in the lives of your people. I pray that those here who belong to you, who are weak and who are struggling, would be strengthened in their faith by your Holy Spirit, that they would be given comfort and peace and rest in this gospel. 
and that in gratitude and thankfulness for this gospel, we would live lives of love and obedience to you. I pray that if there are any here who do not know you, that they would come to know you, that your spirit would renew them and regenerate them to everlasting life, and that all of us would be faithful to take this gospel where it has not been heard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.